Well, on that clock, it's 6.33. That clock is 6.30, and that clock is 6.32. So, Bobby, I'm just telling you, I'm going to end on time according to one of these clocks. So, uh, well, hey, gang. Uh, my name is Blake Holmes, and uh, I'm excited that you're here to kick off Summit with me. This is truly one of my uh, favorite things to get to do is to gather with you and uh, to study God's Word together. But uh, I recognize there's a lot of new faces in this room and a lot of familiar faces as well. Um, whenever uh, we kick off, I just always like to, to stop and, and to welcome those who are here for the very first time. This is a big campus, and um, perhaps it's been a while since you've walked into a room like this, or maybe you've never walked into a room like this. It's 6.30 in the morning. It's raining outside. It's cold outside, Right? And uh, by the time 6.45 rolls around, these room, this room will be filled with all the people coming in. There'll be about 500-so men in here. And you may be wondering, what in the world is going on? And uh, it may feel a little overwhelming to you. And we just want to welcome you. And we want you to know you're not one of many in a sea of faces, right? Um, we care about you, and we want to get to know you, and we want to help you. And no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, whether you would say, hey, I'm just kind of here exploring the faith. I'm not sure I believe what it is y'all believe. Or you're here going, hey, I'm all in and I'm excited. You know, I woke up at five, had my coffee, read Revelation straight through, and I'm ready to go. Okay. Wherever you are on that continuum, we want you to know that we think Summit is a great place for you to come and get plugged in. Our goal here is not to become smarter sinners. Our goal here is not just to have another North Dallas men's Bible study where you can come and fill your mind with what's trivial, right? And kind of go, well, isn't that interesting? And impress ourselves with Bible knowledge. Our goal here is to fall more in love with Jesus Christ. Our goal here is to be reminded of the gospel and our need for him. All of us, our need for him. Some of you may be here right now going, hey, man, my life is a wreck. And if you knew everything going on in my life, I, I don't think you'd want me here. And I would just tell you there's nothing further from the truth than that. We don't come in here um, finished. We don't come in here as people who have everything together. We come in here as needy, broken, dependent men who do serve and love a perfect God who knows our needs, cares about us, extends grace, and offers us a better way. So I want to welcome all of you. And if you're that person who's here for the first time and it feels a little overwhelming, I, again, I especially want to welcome you, and I want to thank you for coming. Look, um, I remember growing up and going into Bible studies where I felt like everybody knew each other and I didn't know anybody and I was always the guy on the outside. Or I was always put by the kid who did grow up in Sunday school, had all the Bible study answers, and they're talking about turning to certain books of the Bible, and I'm like, I don't even have a Bible. Much less if you hand me that one, you know, from the church, and it says, turn to Jonah. I don't even know what you're talking about, you know? And, uh, and look, we're never going to put you on the spot. And um, we're just excited you're here. So uh, thank you for trusting us with this time. What our, what our format typically looks like is we meet in here at 6.30 uh, each Thursday. We'll start right on time, um, according to one of those clocks. 
And, uh, but we'll, we'll start at 6.30, and then we have this large group teaching time where um, someone um, will be up here each week. It will it'll change, but we'll have someone up here who's kind of walking you through that passage for that week. And, um, and then after that, we break up into small groups. And it's there in those small groups where we, we talk about the so what, right? Because our hope is not that you just come in here and get more information, like I said before, but you then take that and then in a group of men talk about, hey, so what does this mean practically for me? And you have a place to discuss what it is that we're, we're looking at, all right? So that's, that's the format of this. On your, your name tag, if you signed up beforehand, you got a name tag, that's why we asked you to check in, because you put that on there, and you'll see there's a room number on there, and, uh, and that's where we'd ask you to go. So um, we've got leaders assigned for each group, and you'll go in there and uh, get to meet some new friends, and my hope would be that you guys would not just talk once a week, but that you get each other's contact information, and you'd encourage each other throughout the week, pray for each other. Um, share what it is that's challenging, what you're encouraged by, keep up with each other. And we hope that that gives you a taste of what we talk about here often just around living in community and practicing the one another's with each other. And, uh, and that would help you just take that next step in your relationship with Christ. Um, if you didn't sign up beforehand and you don't have a name tag, then uh, after I finish here, I'm just going to ask you to come up to the front. And uh, I've got some friends up here who um, we're going to just put you in a, in a small, smaller group in this room and have an opportunity to discuss everything we're, we're going through this morning. All right? Hey, let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump in to the book of Revelation. All right? That sounds fun. All right. Well, Father in heaven, we start our morning acknowledging our need for you, acknowledging your goodness and your kindness in our life. Lord, none of us walk in here having all the answers have our lives together. None of us come in here bringing our resume to you, saying, look what I've done. Look how much I know. Um, look how well I've performed. We bring nothing. We bring nothing to the cross except sin and resistance. That's what we bring. And we need your grace in our lives. I pray, Father, that a summit, this next several months would be more than just a Bible study where we, where we learn more. I pray, Lord, it would be a place where we come and you stir our affections for you, that we would then be willing to respond to the truth that you reveal to us. I pray, Lord, that you would guard us from just the obligatory showing up and, and answering a couple of questions and underlining a few facts in our Bibles. And I, checking boxes. We, we don't want to live like that. We want to live in a dynamic, real relationship with you. And so for my friends who are here for the very first time, who had the courage to walk into a really big place in a room with a lot of men, Lord, would you strengthen and encourage them and help them to know that, um, Lord, you have something for them. For my friends who are here and uh, who are heavy laden and burdened and um, just need to be encouraged, um, I, I pray, Lord, that this study would, they would lock arms with other men who would faithfully pray with them and remind them of what's true and that what we're talking about is worth it. And then for those, Lord, who are just, this seems to be just a season where the wind is at our back. Lord, would you help us in our time of blessing and, and strength to be a blessing to others? 
May we not just come in here looking for what we can get out of this, but may we encourage and strengthen the brothers around us. May we be the church, Lord, in the city of Dallas. Um, may we be salt and light as you intend for us to be. And we love you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, when you walked in, you should have received um, this little booklet. If not, make sure you grab this. This is what we're going to go through um, in our time together. And so uh, come on in, fellas. Come on in. Grab a seat. Stand in the back. Whatever's comfortable. There's always room up front. That's good. Come on in. Well, um, I, love, uh, I love a good ending, right? I love a good ending. And um, you think about how uh, you see this right here. Everybody knows what this is, right? That's the ending of what movie? Star Wars. We all see that. You know what happened there, right? What's blowing up right there? Death Star. Death Star that's right. Now, this is when Star Wars was, like, good, right? This is, the, this is back in the days when Star Wars was real and Darth Vader, right? I mean, like, this was... That, I, I mean, I remember going to North Park 1 and 2. Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit. You remember North Park 1 and 2? Standing in line for hours, right, just to get in and see this movie. And, uh, and I don't need to tell you what happens here. You see that, and you're going, oh, yeah, that's the Death Star blowing up. And what is that ship? The Millennial Falcon. And then we all needed one. We all had to have it, and we bought one, right? Uh, you know, next little clip on here. Everybody know what that is? Rocky, and not just Rocky, that's Rocky what? Four. Four, thank you, playing along over here, right? Five points, all of you right here. Tyler, God bless you. All right, over here, I need your help. Look at me, all right? That's Rocky four, and Rocky defeats who? Drago, I have a Drago, all right? And we know what happens here, and that's so significant because Drago, if you remember, at the beginning of the movie, he fought who? Apollo Creed, and he killed him with a punch, okay? Now, if you've seen Rocky 1 through 20, you know the story, right? <laughs> like, Apollo Creed, that's the guy that Rocky fought in the previous movie, right? And so now, Apollo Creed and him are friends. They're best friends. They got this cool friendship, and then Apollo dies, you know, and I mean, I literally remember, I'm a little kid, and Apollo, I'm like, Apollo dies? I mean, I'm crying, Right? And so when this happens in Russia, and he's lifted the American flag, and he's beat the Russian, I mean, we're like, yes, in the USA, right? This is the time of the Cold War. I mean, every American teenager is watching this going, man, sign me up. I'm ready, right? But then nothing, nothing quite caught my attention like this one, all right? Now, what happened then? Top Gun, Top Gun baby. That's Maverick. Right? And we all remember, I mean, we've got the music, the soundtrack, right? We defeat the Russians. Maverick's thrown up there. He recovers. He's got the state of mind, you know. Goose is dead. Right? We all know all that. And then after this, he's going to go to the bar, and Kelly McGillis is there, and, you know, and all that good stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody's with me. All right. That's the end to every good movie. And what um, is central that you see, the theme that you see that makes these movies awesome and fun can be summed up in one word. And that word is victory. 
victory. I mean, this Death Star, boom! And you're like, yes! Good guys win, right? Rocky lifts the American flag, yes! USA. Maverick recovers, shoots down the MiGs. He, he re-engages to cover Iceman, right? And we're like, yes. And we're all looking forward to Top Gun coming out this summer, like 100 years later. <laughs> and, uh, and the reason why we laugh and we remember all this is because we know the whole story. We all saw that. Well, when you read the book of Revelation, you need to understand you're coming in to the end of a movie. The book of Revelation is the very last book in the Bible. The Bible is made up of 66 books, an Old Testament and a New Testament. And what separates the Old Testament from the New Testament is very significant. And it's the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And so often I will have men come to me and go, hey, Blake, teach me the book of Revelation. Like, I want to know. It's got symbols and all these crazy things. I have no idea what that means. So just tell me, how's all this thing going to end? And I go, well, let me ask you something. Um, are you familiar with the Abrahamic covenant? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, well, that's back in... Genesis. And you can't understand Revelation if you don't understand Genesis. When I mention those movies to you and you've never seen Top Gun and yet you see that picture, you're kind of going, everybody else is enjoying that because they know the story. And we are looking at the very last book this semester. We're looking at Revelation. And, um, and I want you to realize that we're showing you a short clip to the end of the movie. And so you've got to read, every time you read scripture, you've got to read every paragraph in context of every chapter, every chapter of each book, and every book in context of all the other books. And if you don't take a little bit of time to know, hey, what's preceded this, what's led up to this, you're really lost at the end of the movie. You're, you're really can't appreciate um, what has happened and what's being explained here. And so um, I want to share with you how I would summarize the Bible in just four, four words, really. The, the Bible is, is uh, all one book tells one story from Genesis to Revelation. All 66 books fit together to tell one story. There's a meta-narrative, if you remember that word from college English. Um, there's a meta-narrative that, that ties all that together, and those four words are creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. That, that's how you explain the Bible in, in four words, is that there's a God in heaven who is perfect and holy and righteous and just, who's sovereign, who's eternal, who speaks this earth into existence, boom, out of nothing, who's dependent upon no one, who was not created, who was eternal, and he created this world, and he created it good, and he put, um, and he created all the animals, and, and he created man and woman, and he intended for them to live in a relationship with him. It wasn't because he was lonely. It wasn't because he 
um, needed us or needed anything. God is triune. He is perfect. He's not needing of anything. But he desired to have a relationship with us. But man decided in our stubborn rebellion that we could live independently of God's will. We didn't need God. And so we rebelled against him. And that's what we call the fall. That's um, is what occurs in Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning of the Bible. And um, you'll see in Genesis chapter 3 that God has a rescue plan to bring man back into a relationship with himself. Because you have a holy, perfect, righteous God who cannot tolerate sin, cannot just look away because he's just. But he loves us. And so he comes up with a plan. Hey, how can I rescue those that I love and live in relationship with them? He didn't create us as robots, right? So we would just automatically have a relationship with him. He gave us free choice. Hey, what do you choose? And we chose, well, we don't choose you. We want to live our own way. And that's what's called sin. Anything we think, say, or do that's contrary to the will of God, that's sin. And so... Um, what God promises in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is pretty significant. If you have your Bibles, turn there. We read that uh, this, this first man named Adam and this, this first woman named Eve, they had a choice, and, and they chose to rebel against God. He told them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they said, well, you know what? Um, I don't think your word is true, and I think I can live apart from you, and you don't always have my best interest in mind. And they were tempted by what the Bible describes as a serpent, and we know this adversary to be Satan, or in Hebrew, it's Satan, which just means adversary, or the devil, okay? And God says, makes this really profound statement in Genesis 3.15, he says, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And notice this in 3.15, I will put enmity, I'll put strife between you and the woman in between your offspring and her offspring. In other words, this feud is going to continue for a while. But this is what is really profound and it's, it's just a, if you're not careful, you, you just, you miss it. But the rest of scripture explains it. He says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this gang is a whisper of what is to come. That there's going to be a godly line established from Adam and Eve that is gonna continue and have its ultimate fulfillment in one who is the serpent crusher the one who's going to ultimately have victory over sin and death and evil and pain and suffering in this world. Now, if you fast forward all the way to Revelation chapter 20, go to Revelation chapter 20, which is the book we're studying, you see 
Beginning in verse 1, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, that ancient what? Serpent. That ancient serpent from Genesis chapter 3, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him. And so the question is, so what happened from the promises of Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation chapter 20, the end, where we see victory? How did that come about? Well, God is faithful to his promises. And this is something much greater of an ending than any Death Star blowing up. It's our story, gang. It is the story. It is the story that you have to understand because you're living in it. It's the story of reality. It's the story of redemption. It's the story that God spoke this earth into existence, created us to live in a relationship with him. We rebelled against him. And because of that rebellion, because of our sin, we were separated from him. But in his goodness, he devised a rescue plan, sent his son who was fully God and fully man, to die on the cross for us, to pay the penalty for our sin. You see, God can't just overlook sin. He can't ignore it. He wouldn't be just. But he must deal with it. And so what he did was he, he, paid, he poured out his wrath on his son on the cross, and Jesus Christ was fully God, fully man, fully God so as to be without sin and perfect, and fully man so as to serve as our substitute. And so on the cross, the God-man, he built the bridge, if you will, between a perfect, righteous, holy God and a sinful people. So that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in this offer, this gift of eternal life, can find and experience forgiveness and hope and victory. But see, God isn't impressed with what we do or what we don't do. What he says is, no, this is a gift. I'm offering you a gift, but you've got to receive it. You've got to trust in what it is my son is providing for you. It's not something that we're born into. It's not something that we earn or we deserve. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. That is what the story of Scripture is all about. And when you come to the book of Revelation, what you have to understand is this is the end of a much longer story. And it's a story about how God loves you. It's a story about how God desires for you to live in relationship with him and how you can do that. And how despite all the pain and suffering and evil we see in the world, God is on his throne. He is sovereign. He is not surprised. And he offers hope. He offers healing. And the, despite the pain you're experiencing, Paul even goes so far as to say, the pain you're experiencing, no matter what it is, is light and momentary a light and momentary affliction compared to all the eternal weight of glory that awaits for those of us who've trusted in Jesus Christ. 
Because Jesus didn't just die on the cross for us, he was buried, and three days later, he rose again. And it's that resurrection that declares victory over sin and death. And Jesus says, hey, listen, this isn't the end of the story. Every day that goes by right now is just another day of an extension of his grace where he's inviting you, come, come, come. And if you know me, get the word out. Share it with others that they can experience victory because there will be a day, Revelation 20, Revelation 19, where Jesus Christ returns. And in Revelation 20, he binds that serpent from Genesis 3. And then ultimately destroys evil. And we are then able to live with God and experience a relationship with him as we were originally intended. This, this, what we're doing over the next several weeks is we're reading the end of the story. But you have to know what's led up to that. You have to know that when we're reading Revelation, this isn't just for the, the curious, right, who want to understand prophecy. This is to provide hope. So often people want to read Revelation because they just, they want charts and graphs and trivia. And I'm just going, no, you're missing the point. This is a book of hope. This is a book about victory. This is a book about what is to come. And so, gang, uh, this is a fun study. This is a fun study. But, but put it in context. Revelation, the background of Revelation, is it's written by a man named John who wrote the Gospel of John. He's known as the beloved disciple. Um, and uh, it's written about 95, 96 AD. So if you think that um, you know, Jesus uh, lived and died in the, the 30s, right? And you see the, the church after his death begins in Acts chapter 2, and God's spirit now dwells within his people, and the message is going out of the good news of Jesus Christ. They're experiencing persecution as they carry this message and tell others how they can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The church is under persecution, and we read about that in the book of Acts. And it's during this time that John is exiled to an island called Patmos. And, um, and so it's, his purpose is to encourage and strengthen the church with the victory that is theirs, both presently and how they can have a relationship with Jesus and in the future of what is to come. Like, hang on, men. Like, this war will ultimately be won in Jesus. And I want to write this so that you can have hope, despite the persecution you're facing. And so if you go to the next slide, you'll see that the key verse is Revelation 1.19. Now I want you to turn there real quickly. I want you to underline it. It says, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are about to take place after this. Okay, so um, this is really important because this little verse 119 serves as the outline of the whole book. Chapter 1 describes the things that are. I mean, I'm sorry, the things that you have seen. That's in the past. The things that you have seen. 
what is in the past. Chapter 1. Chapters 2 and 3 describe the things which are what's in the present in John's day. And then chapters 4 through 22 describe the things that will take place. It aligns perfectly with that verse, Revelation 119, right? There for things that you have seen, chapter 1, those that are, chapters 2 and 3, and those that are to take place after this, chapters 4 through 22. So I've given you kind of the broad context of Scripture. I've shared with you, hey, this is the general outline of, of Revelation, what's hap- what happens in this whole book, how you can just think about a, a, a map of Revelation in your head. And now, specifically what I'm saying is, over these next few weeks, we are studying chapters 2 and 3. That's it. We're looking at the things which are chapters 2 and 3. In chapters 2 and 3, the focus of our study consists of seven letters to seven different churches. Here's John in exile living on the island of Patmos, and he writes seven letters to seven churches. Some of these names are familiar to you because you know your Bible. You've heard of these, these churches, letters to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia. No, not the Philadelphia in the United States, a different one. Laodicea. And I'll throw a map up here, and you'll see that Patmos is um, down the left-hand corner, right? There's the island, and that's Asia, modern-day Turkey. And the letters are written based in geography. You just kind of go in a circle like this, right? Starts with Ephesus, and you just think like, hey, we're going to get word out. And he just, in his mind, probably, you know, just the way in which you would travel, it just makes his way around the clock, if you will. And it's the seven letters to the seven churches to encourage them during a time of great persecution and tribulation. And every letter has a a pattern to it, a form to it. And that's what you see on the screen now. There's a caption, like it would say, to the angel of the church in. Every letter starts like that. So if you have your Bible, just just look at Revelation chapter 2. We'll look at the letter to the church in Ephesus, and you'll see verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. That's the caption. And then every letter is going to have some sort of description of Christ. So again, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now what I want you to do is, bonus points, is just beside... Um, the description of Christ, just say, hey, look at chapter one, Revelation chapter one, because these descriptions are gonna come of a vision, description of Christ in chapter one. There's words of commendation. John is gonna say, hey, this is what you're doing really well. This this is where you're, you're excelling still more. I see what you're doing. Well done, church. Keep going. And in, in the church of Ephesus, he says, Specifically, verse 2, I know your works, I know your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, 
and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. That's the commendation. You're doing well. You, you are, you're pointing out heresy. You're enduring, you're, you're enduring well um, and patiently in the midst of suffering and persecution. But, here comes the condemnation, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Ouch. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. You started strong. But you've, your affections are no longer for me. And then he has the challenge, five and six. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicoletians, Nicoletians, which I also hate. And then there's a command, verse seven, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And there's a note to the conquerors. Every letter will have this format, and it's really instructive. In your books, you can just turn there. Our time together is going to be spent looking at each of these letters. And your challenge, right, page 8, your challenge during, each, during the week is to read in preparation of your time together and go, hey, what do I see? And I just gave you a really good head start for next week. And we're going to look and we're going to see what did God have to say to each of these seven churches. But here's the deal. I know I'm in a room with a bunch of men in here. And you know what we love to do? We love to play armchair quarterback. Don't we? You know what armchair quarterback does? They, they watch the game. And they're like, oh, man, how can you be so stupid? I mean, could he, why did he throw the ball there? It was double coverage, right? And we review the tape. Now, we haven't got it off the chip or run around the block in about 10 years, right? Couldn't throw the ball to save our life, but we're really critical of the guy out there. And so here's my challenge to you. When you read about the seven churches, you don't read and go, oh, Man, that is one messed up church. Why couldn't they figure that out? Hey, gang, this is written for us. In every one of these churches, there are characteristics and warnings and commendations for us. As a church and as individuals, collectively and individually. And so I'm asking you to prayerfully consider, hey, what is the next step the Lord is asking you to take? You know, the, the Bible is really clear. Um, if, if you uh, look at 1 Timothy 4.16, you just write it down. Paul writes this, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. He says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith and then test yourselves. So we're not just studying these letters to check up on them. This is an opportunity for us to test ourselves 
examine ourselves and ask ourselves, hey, what would be included in our letter? Just uh, last week, I got to go visit my daughter. She's at, at Auburn and a uh, freshman at Auburn. And I just sat there and I, uh, War Eagle, yes. And, uh, and I sat there with her and I just said, hey, Avery, this is the beginning of your freshman year. You've got four years here. And here's what I want to encourage you to do, really in light of preparation for this time. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to write a letter to yourself. Looking at your life, where are you now and where do you want to be when you're going to be a senior graduating? Write about your friendships. Write about your, your dreams. Write about your challenges. Write about the condition of your heart. What are your prayer requests? I want you to write that letter, and then I want you to seal it. In your senior year, I, I want you to then open it up, and I, and I, would just, I want you to read it. And I, and I said that because I want her to write a letter, like I want you to write a letter. And I want you to seriously consider, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing, church? What's the next step the Lord wants you to take? And so when we read this and we go through these, let's be honest with others. Let's talk about our relationships in our home. How are you doing leading in your home? When you go home, are your kids excited to see you? Or do they largely feel ignored because you're too busy? Does your, does your wife say, I'm, I'm proud to be married to that man? To those of you you work with, they say, hey, man, that guy makes my company better, not just because he works hard, but because he is a light in this company. The way he does business is different than everybody else. I may not be able to explain it, but I'm telling you, that guy, he goes to that place, that Watermark place over there, and he lives differently because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. We all have ground to take, man. I don't know if it's that familiar sin in your life where you're just like, hey, man, I, I don't let anybody know about this. And yet pornography or whatever it is is destroying you. And chances in a room this size, it's destroying you. And the Lord, you know, Todd says it so often. He's not trying to rip you off. He's trying to set you free. And I'm telling you, there is victory. There is hope. And God offers you a better way but not if you do it according to your offense. Not if you do it according to your own strength and discipline and your own independence. God gives you the church. God gives you his word. God gives you his spirit. And he's inviting you to a better way. Have the courage and the humility over these next several weeks to write a letter to yourself. Don't armchair quarterback the challenges and problems of the churches we're going to read about without also looking in your own heart and going, hey, men, help me take these next steps of faithfulness. All right? Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for these men who have purpose to rise early and to come and to, and to learn more about the victory that is offered to us through Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I thank you that the one who who came to deceive the, the father of lies, the, the one who Jesus described as a murderer from the very beginning, that, Father, you have 
ultimately defeated him through Christ. That the, the one we read about in Genesis 3.15, the, the serpent crusher has come and revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He's offered us a better way. Who doesn't tell us to try harder, perform better, but offers us a gift. And I thank you, Lord, that those of us who have trusted in you, that you don't give up on us, you're not finished with us, and that he who began a good work in us, he will finish it, Philippians 1 says. On that day, Lord, that, that later that Revelation reads about, that day when we see you face to face, that we don't have to wonder about how this is all going to end. We know how it ends. That the serpent crusher is, is ultimately going to do away with evil. We're not going to be free just from the penalty of sin, not just from the power of sin, but from the presence of sin altogether when we are glorified as you promised. And this earth is made new. May we all experience that, Lord. And may we get busy in telling other people how they can also share in that victory. Father, help us to be honest with ourselves, to keep a close watch on ourselves, to examine ourselves, to test ourselves, to learn from these seven churches that we would apply it to our lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for your word, your spirit, and your people, for your church. We thank you. And it's in Christ's name we pray, the serpent crusher. Amen.